This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. It is January 5th, 2016, the first DSR podcast of the new year. I am Jeff Moss, back with us after a two-week hiatus for Michigan State University hijinks. Uh, One week you missed because of the overtime game between MSU and Oakland University, and then you were off in Dallas last week watching the massacre. (laughs) <laughs> Alabama against the Spartans in the semifinal playoff. He is back with us. Actually, the first time in studio since he broke the uh, Drew Sharp plagiarism story. Welcome back. Thanks, guys. It's good to be back. I missed you. and I know I, I've gained some weight, but I'm only one guy. I thought you had one and a half good shows in my absence. Oh, the please. Howard Stern Appreciation Hour was an embarrassment <laughs> oh, and not enjoyable for anyone outside of that inside joke. Okay, hold on a second. Uh, Jessica, are you a Howard Stern listener? Uh, no, not really. Okay, did you love the Sour Shoes Hour? Yeah, thank you. I absolutely love Sour. I want to really get drunk with Sour. And, and Sour's actually a pretty decent looking guy, believe it or not, for someone who talks. I didn't say I want to bang him. I just said I want to hang out with him. Well, funny. I know, but I mean, you might want to date him. I don't <laughs> know. I think that's like immediately where he's a he famous went. guy. Yeah, you know, he's, he's pretty good. Well, looking, he's, I mean, man. you wouldn't think a guy who talks like a baby and who's like 40 some years old and who's like autistic and, <laughs> and his life is doing Mike Francesa impressions is actually somewhat presentable in person. But, no, you're right. But, I wouldn't think is. that. But huh. he is. He actually fits in perfectly with the DSR being autistic. I mean, what what is it, like 37% of our... 37%? Is that low? I think 37% maybe aren't autistic. Yeah, okay. I'm sure I'm on the spectrum somewhere. Yeah. It's the spectrum sports rag these days. You look at like <laughs> exactly. half of our readers anyway. But. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about? Um, I guess we could tease a little sharp news. Um we're planning on having a couple guests to talk about Drew Sharp. Why don't you uh, tease the one that I don't even know who you're bringing on? Well, I'm bringing on one of my former professors from Michigan State when I was at journalism school there, and I had a pretty good relationship with him. And I think he's a wonderful guy to have on. His name's Rob South. 
This is a guy that has been a broadcaster with NPR National Rob Public. South? Rob South. Sounds like he's like a f- I-95 Miami rapper. Okay, well, he's not. Uh, <laughs> former broadcaster for National Public Radio, NPR, WKAR up there in Lansing. Are you uh, sure he wasn't a member of the Poison Clan? I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah I'm pretty sure Rob. Uh, Baby Rob, 2 Live crew. And most importantly for our purposes, Rob is a board member at SPJ, which is not the governing body. They have no actual authority, but it is the uh, Society for Professional Journalists, which basically dictates uh, what is appropriate and what's inappropriate in the journalism world. And they set basically the bar for ethical standards. So this is a, a guy that's worked in the field that is a professional himself and also a board member that oversees other professionals in the field. So I, I want to get his thoughts on this Drew Sharp matter. Okay, and then hopefully at 6 o'clock we are going to have, I'm hoping, I haven't heard back confirmation yet, but i am got my fingers crossed, Motor City, the Motor City Muckraker, a former employee of the Detroit Free Press who now has a uh, – his own blog where he details uh, the events in the city of Detroit. He's a watchdog on the uh, Dugan administration. He's been he's written a lot of articles about the problem with uh, fire hydrants in the city. Uh, and uh, I think his perspective would be great if he does call in because he was fired from the free press, uh, I think, I don't know how many years ago, a few years ago. And he has some pretty good insight into what goes on downtown in that building. So we hope to have him. And the uh, the little bit of news that I, I guess we could tease and we'll talk about later is that uh, I found out today basically from a couple different sources that Sharp is suspended, something that isn't a shock to anyone. He hasn't written since your article dropped on Christmas Eve. And he also hasn't appeared on 105.1, um, which is – Absolutely bizarre. I, I think that's. I think it's almost stranger that he hasn't appeared on the radio, where there's really not a direct connection. Um, obviously, I mean the free the free press, from what we're told, is now uh, investigating another issue. We don't know what that is with Sharp, and that's why he hasn't uh, had his byline in the paper since before Christmas. But the the one hundred five one stuff is just odd because there's just no direct correlation. Why he would? I mean. Even if he even if he did play, I mean, like when album was in all of his problems with the the Richardson's Cleve stuff, WJR didn't pull him off his radio show. So I find it quite peculiar that Sharp hasn't appeared. Maybe they got Lindsey Hunter filling in the last couple of days. Uh, you know that that probably is going to turn around their one ratings. I, I can imagine. Well, you know, it's curious. We don't really know what's going on here from any angle, whether it be the free where Sharp's coming from on all this. We don't know what his thoughts are. We don't know where 1051 is coming from. I think it might be safe to say he's a relatively new employee at 1051. Maybe he's going through some crazy investigation with the free press and it's shaking up his whole life and instead of it being an ethical decision of 1051 to remove him from the air temporarily, it might just be a look, go sort your life out. And, and you know, worry about other matters. And, yeah, I and, think that's probably. I mean, what it I, is. I don't think it's there. An example of Detroit 1051 making an ethical stand. I mean, this is a station that has put on a guy that was mocking the victims of sexual assault, calling them whores and, and drops. And, yeah, and that would just, be Drew Lane. And then we also they they have no problem putting Darren McCarty on the air. And we could. We're not going to rehash yeah, all that. I don't. I don't think this is a question of ethics at this point. I I, I think Sharp has something going on in his life associated with this report. 
I think obviously he is, at least in some sense, a, a de facto suspended from the Detroit Free Press. Well, I've been told he's suspended. Well, and, he, I, and I'm yeah, sure you're right. I, I've been I mean, told uh, he's, by two people uh, he's suspended and it's pending the outcome of another investigation. Now, I don't know if that's a something completely separate from the plagiarism or as if the, as, um, the Motor City Muckraker said should be going on when there's any instance of uh, impropriety that they go back and check all of his old columns to see if this behavior is a pattern. Did they do that and found other things? We don't know uh, because the free press I've, – I've emailed the free press every single day basically since this occurred. The publisher, um, the editor – the sports editor, you've tried to get in touch with people. I've called and left messages. I even called David Dave Shore at 105.1. I have done everything possible to get any reaction. And basically the only thing that they've said is uh, Hushka, who's the uh, editor, I guess, said to Crane's Business Detroit, our good old buddy, uh, Bill Shea, uh, protege of one Hunter S. Thompson, he, uh, he basically at least acknowledged – that Shea was asking the question and said that they wouldn't have any comment at this time, which is more than we've got. That's, they the, only, even, that's the only formal no comment I've even heard. They I wouldn't mean, respond it's... to us. They wouldn't respond to awful announcing Motor City Muckraker, the um, Deadline Detroit. Not that. So Shea at least got the acknowledgement, the no comment. So we don't know really anything what's going on. Um, I have today. I got a, a good tip. I can't say where it came from or anything like that. And I kind of went full bore on just trying to – I've emptied out my contact list now. I'm just trying – anyone who has any connection, I'm trying to get anything from. So we'll see. And it might, something might pop up because I have a lot of feelers out there. Something might pop up during the show. But uh, that's enough for that topic for the time being. Let's talk about the other mess in this city, our football team, the Detroit Lions, who once again won a meaningless game – on Sunday against the Chicago Bears to end the season at 7-9. and nine. Uh, Lions fans ecstatic over the news, 6-2 uh, and two in the second half. You know, I, I guess Lions fans aren't privy to the knowledge that it's a 16-game season and it's not like the old, uh, what was it, the 1981 or 82 baseball season that was, there was a strike and... I don't. You probably don't. You weren't even born, so you probably don't even know this actually happened. But in baseball, that one year, there was split seasons... So if you had the best record in the first half of the season, you qualified for the postseason. And if you had the best record in the second half of the season, you also qualified. And then there was like some play, like modified playoff. And that actually happened in baseball. That didn't happen in the NFL this year. Uh, the Lions organization, their fan base, doesn't seem to realize that. It's going 6-2 and two in the second half when you started off 1-7 and seven and basically had nothing to play for at that point on. Um, disqualified you. But don't tell don't tell the people in this city. Well, and it really what they did was pull a Detroit Pistons special where you're in position for, you know, that top four, top five pick, and then you end up tumbling down the draft order with a meaningless win streak at the end. You know, they were at one point in control of the first overall pick in the draft. Maybe you expected a little more. There's enough talent there to not be that bad. But to be in the middle of the pack at this point is just an absolute disaster from a draft standpoint. This isn't like up until a few years ago when you had these massive rookie contracts where it's like, well, okay, we're not in that top five, but at least we're not going to have a back-breaking, cap-breaking contract on the books. That's not like that anymore. You want the top pick possible now. That you know, with, the, with the rookie cap, the, what they did is an absolute disaster for the future of the franchise. But 
frankly, who cares? I haven't watched a down of football in two months of the Detroit Lions, I mean. I, uh, two months. Haven't watched it down. Not even a down. Not even where I'm flipping through and I'll watch a drive or whatever. It, it's been so glorious. These fans are so stupid. When, when the Lions beat Green Bay in Lambeau, it was the, the behavior of the fans after that win, acting like this team won the Super Bowl for beating Green Bay when they went what two and that moved them to two and seven or three and seven or whatever it was. I think these fans are are getting what they deserve. But the Lions once again are doing what's absolutely worse. They win when they should lose, or they lose when they should win. And I have no faith. And I have called you out for this repeatedly. You are saying that you you are buying this GM search. You're buying these reports that they're requesting these interviews here, there, and everywhere. I'm telling you right now, you're going to be writing me a check for a hundred dollars when you lose this bet. Sheldon Cash, White, sorry, that's that's fine too. My, I will gladly take your hundred dollar bill as well. Sheldon White will be the permanent GM. The interim tag will be lifted. I don't know how you can even dispute that at this point. History has told us that they will do this. Every indication to me is that they're going to do this. I don't buy this search. This is just this, and I, I'm sure they're doing it, but I don't believe that they're going to land on anybody other than the incumbent. And this is their little dog and pony show. You want to put your faith in Martha Ford, like the Dave Burkett's of the world. Martha Ford sent an email. We covered this in a pod a few weeks ago. Sent an email to the season ticket holders promising a thorough and exhaustive, her words, not mine, thorough and exhaustive national search for the best president and GM. Well, they went down the hallway to hire the president. Five days later, after promising a search that never took place, it's been confirmed by multiple sources that there was never a search for the president, and now we're supposed to believe that the GM part, okay, they, they meant that. She meant that part. I don't buy it. Sheldon White's your next GM. I'll be more than happy to give you $100 if that's what occurs because the entertainment value of watching this city burn down if they promote Sheldon White to the general manager will be hilarious. Uh, so I'll be happy to give you that. That would be the best $100 I ever spent because it basically be another six months of content for the website and the podcast. So it's not like I'm rooting against that. It's probably what I'm rooting for, to owe you $100. I, I just think that Rod Wood's probably a little smarter than that in in the Hamp family. Which, okay, please stop with the Martha Ford is calling the shots BS because that's not happening. It's Sheila Hamp, her husband, and their hand-picked pal who replaced Bill Ford Jr.'s hand-picked pal, Tom Luan, that's who's making this decision. And I think that they understand the optics a little better than a 90-year-old woman. And, yeah, they knew they were going to get a little heat for promoting Rod Wood, who was their financial advisor and what, I don't know, what ran Greenfield Village or whatever the fuck he did. I knew that they knew they were going to get a little heat, but at the end of the day, that was the coup, and that part was non-negotiable, right? I mean, that, that's that's my feeling. And they could always say, "Look, Rod Wood is just replacing Tom Luan, who wasn't a football guy anyway." And it's very easy to go and do a press conference and talk to the radio stations and say, "Look, I'm not a football guy. I know I'm not a football guy, and the GM's going to make the decisions." And the, the the public bought that line. The Bob Wojanowskis of the world bought that story. And it's easy to sell. Bringing back Sheldon White is not an easy sale. 
with the history of this team. That's why I think what's going to happen is they've already made a decision that they're going to keep Jim Caldwell. And they are going to go and get a third-rate general manager from one of these other teams who's desperate for a gig, who doesn't know if he'll ever get a GM job and can't wait like like uh, Bill Tobin's son or Ron Wolf's son, people who have no interest in this gig, right? Yep. Okay. They're going to get someone else who's like, hey, maybe I've got to go eat some shit in this organization, but when am I going to get one of these 32 jobs if I don't take this one? Because who in the world, pedigree-wise, would take this job knowing that you're already basically probably being told that you've got to keep the coaching staff, um, which potentially the best part of that staff could be coaching Cleveland or Miami by the end of the week. And you're dealing with internal strife between the ownership group. We know that Bill Ford Jr. is not happy with what's going on. He's been X'd out. Martha Ford's 90 years old, and as like I said on Schuling's show yesterday, my, on my segment, how long is she going to live? And at that point, we always thought that Bill Ford, or excuse me, the, the sisters were going to be the ones who wanted to sell the team and force Bill to give up his toy. But now I can see Bill Ford Jr. being the one saying, look, I have no say in this matter. I want my money. I don't, why, why should I? Why should I not cash out two hundred fifty million or what three hundred million, whatever it is, when I can't even have basically a spot at the table to make these kind of decisions on who to hire? So who's coming here under these awful circumstances? That's any good? There's not a single redeeming thing about the job except that it is a job in the NFL, and that's really the extent of it. And, and there is something to be said for that, but it's about as bad as they come in terms of circumstances. You know, if they go with Sheldon White, which is what I fully believe will happen, I think it will be hilarious in that it'll be yet again a refusal to sever ties to the Millen era. Now, Sheldon White never worked under Matt Millen here or anywhere else, but he was a lackey of Mayhew who has the family tree of well, Matt let me, let me ask you one question. As a proponent of this, that you think Sheldon White's staying, yep. as pathetic as this fan base is, the biggest lackey losers in the planet, Lions fans, even this neutered, oh, people unique will defend group, it. People will defend you it. really think this yep. not, people won't be an up in arms? I had to read an article by Bob Wojanowski today. I know he's not a fan, but Bob Wojanowski is more rational than a lot of these worst fans are arguing for Jim Caldwell's third year, saying that they have to keep him. He's a good coach, and he deserves another shot. I had to read that today. I had, I had to read an article advocating for them to keep Jim Caldwell from a reasonably intelligent human being. People will defend this. These are the same – these people that you're putting so much faith in that they're going to be appropriately aghast at the promotion or the removal of the interim tag off Sheldon White. These are the same people that were acting like this team won the Super Bowl when they won at Lambeau. These fans are stupid. They're going to go with whatever – I, I, I disagree. I think if if Sheldon White gets promoted, but people I mean, what, are going to go ape shit. Okay, go. Uh, okay, and, that's, and, in what in what meaningful way? I just don't. They're th- going to say bad stuff on I just Twitter. Don't think, I mean, are they going to not show up? No, they'll like, show up. Yeah, okay, then who gives a shit? Because what I, I, I think I think they, I think the Lion management probably doesn't want to start off there. They're riding high. They think they're like the saviors of the town. You you don't think Rod Wood is going around the city when he goes out to dinner? Thinking, ever since he's the president, they've gone six and two, and they're getting all of this great. But maybe uh, that's the reason you keep Sheldon White because this group. Can, I, this group I think can they do know. Well, apparently, I think they know 
that that would be an absolute PR disaster. And we'll see how it plays out. But let, let's talk about a couple people who said that they didn't even want an interview with this, with this team, which, which is absolutely insane to me. The Dallas Cowboys assistant pro personnel director, Will McClay. Now, if you're the assistant pro personnel, personnel director on a team that just finished in last place, how many rungs down are you from even like being the GM on that team? Like, how how many people are you? Is, is, what's the secession plan? Is that like being like the uh, House Majority Leader? If like five people die in front of you, you become the president. Uh, assistant pro personal personnel director said he didn't even want to interview, which like to me is crazy because you always can put it on your resume. You could go up to Detroit, interview. Get the experience of interviewing for a GM yeah, just job. Just for the practice of it. And then say, issue a press release saying, my heart's in Dallas, I really want to stay here, preemptively, um, before the Lions could say no to you, and you get the best of both worlds. So why would you say no? And then Duke Tobin, who is the um, Bengals personnel chief, he said he didn't want to interview. And I, I just didn't, don't think they want to waste their time with this organization. And like I said yesterday, also, it's like the Browns and the Lions are in a race to see who could be the absolute worst organization in professional sports. But at least the Browns are like hiring analytical people and sabermetrics people to make decisions while it would appear a 90-year-old woman, her daughter, who doesn't know anything about football, her husband, who... I don't know. Like I said, it was he was I, he was the one I think at uh, Greenfield Village. Her husband and Rod Wood. I mean, these people don't know anything, and they're they're the ones going to be making the decision. And like you said, Dave Burkett's of the world. I mean, what happened to this guy? Can we talk about him for a minute? This guy used to be one of the better beat writers in this city. We lauded him for years, other than a couple hiccups here and there that. Defending William Clay Ford. When he wrote that 50-year anniversary article about William Clay Ford Sr.'s ownership um, in 2013, I believe it was. In glowing terms. In glo- yeah, I mean, just completely glossed over the holocaust that's occurred since he's been the uh, man in charge. Okay, so we kind of ribbed him about that and gave him a pass. But this last three or four months, the guy is like worse than 20 men in O'Hara. What the fuck has happened to this guy? It's like he's been abducted. I mean, he is really the conductor on the Martha Ford is shaking things up train, and he's eating that shit, uh, that shit up. I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't get how anyone thinks that Martha Ford is really having any meaningful impact. Frankly, the schedule softened up quite a bit. They lost a few games in backbreaking fashion. You know, I, I, we were saying on the air before this win streak even occurred, midseason, we were saying we were in fear of this and that it was almost inevitable that this team would go 5-3 and three down the stretch or 6-2. and two. I mean, we said that. So none of this was surprising to us, and it doesn't really impact our feelings on the regime or Jim Caldwell or whomever. I, I think you are unintentionally, perhaps, making the case for why I think Sheldon White's going to be here because they're, they're not going to get the type of mind that they want or that they need to justify getting rid of Sheldon White. This is... A family that, like you said, they're on cloud nine. They're they're on the high horse right now. Sheldon White's going to be back, and if if they could get a wolf type guy, 
I would agree with you, but they're not going to get him. These people aren't even going to interview, as you've demonstrated at this point. And they're going to fall back into Sheldon White's arms. I, I'm telling you, I, I don't, I can't even believe we disagree on this. I, I think it's so obvious. It's not. I don't. I'm willing to raise the bet. Well, I, I, there's only so much Richie a man Rich. wants. There's only so much a man wants to wager on. Uh, the, you watch flies fuck for two hundred dollars. What? <laughs> you never heard that saying? No. <laughs> I guess if you if you don't know the expression, uh, it doesn't really work. But well, I'm uh, sure I'm sure there's tens of people out there laughing at that. Uh, I hope they are. I hope they're enjoying it. So you know, again, wh- I'm just going based on history. This is something that you said to me repeatedly last year when we had our disagreements about the Lions' prognostication for the season, which of course I nailed. And you have been struggling on this Lions' prognostication. No, I have not for, been struggling. I I, I, predicted I have been. I have been. I the predicted. One source. I should have pulled the clip, and this is what I was. I was lazy and given it to Jessica, so she could have played. But I went on Schuling's show at the beginning of the year and said exactly what was going to happen: that they would start off poorly, and that they would come back with a rush, not make the playoffs, and then they would keep call. I mean, I said it on this, on his radio show, like in September. The only thing I I probably have off. Is the fact that Caldwell's coming back, which I will give you, I'll give you kudos, and you and racist cop and whoever else made that prediction. I'm just dumbfounded that these imbeciles would watch this team instead instead of coming away and saying, "Oh my God, we went seven and nine, uh, we got to keep Caldwell." Instead of that, they should be saying, "If we had a competent coach, we probably would have went ten and six, eleven and five. If we had a guy who would have last year seen that Joel Lombardi was over his head, that this was not a job he could handle, that the offense was putrid and it cost the team their best ever chance, I think, to get to the Super Bowl. It was a, it was a Super Bowl caliber team when you look at their defense was one of the best defenses in the history of the league, according to the metrics. It was second that season, but they had two of the all-time great defenses in the NFL that year. Right. So, I mean, they had what they had like the sixth best defense of all time, according to Pro Football Outsiders or Pro Football Focus or one of those two sites. So, I mean, you know, it's they had a great defense. They had a competent quarterback, a star receiver, and they the, best number, the best number two receiver, and still didn't win a and still didn't win a playoff game. And still didn't win a playoff Come back game this in year. large part because of Caldwell's coaching decisions right. not going for yeah. a fourth and one. That's exactly the point. Last year, he has a chance. To, he doesn't have Golden Tate in the in the in that play on third down. Um, who, like you said, probably one of the best second uh, wide number two last, wide receivers. Last year, he was yeah. ninety nine catches. And, right. Yeah. They don't have him in the game. Then they then the, the pussy uh, punts on fourth down instead of going for it. You know, and he's getting all this all this uh, uh, applause for some of the fourth down. I don't give a fuck if you go for it on fourth down and two when you're when you're out of the playoffs? What does that tell me about? What's that, what does it tell me about Jim Caldwell? That when the team is out of the playoffs, he's in line with the New York Times fourth down bot, but when the team is on the verge of winning their first playoff game in since 1991, he's too big of a coward to make the decision that's necessary? The man's mocked nationally for his in-game management. He's an embarrassment. We could go through this season play by play. I mean, you want to talk about the fact that he's defending a lateral when it's obvious that Aaron Rodgers is going to throw a Hail Mary in that game that cost him that game. I mean, this is a direct coaching decision that cost you a game. And it's happened a few times just in the two years that this comatose cigar store Indian has been in town. Forget all of that. He's still to this day 
will not admit that he kept Lombardi too long. They had a great stat yesterday on Pro Football Focus. It was a graph showing Matthew Stafford's PFF numbers this season with Lombardi and with Jim Bob Cooter. And it looked like the EKG of a dead person that halfway at week eight came to life. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's embarrassing that this dolt can't come out and admit he made a mistake. And if you're not willing to admit when you've made mistakes in the past, why should I think that you're going to be able to correct these decisions in the future, in year three? I don't, you can't admit, how can someone look at the facts and say that you waited too long to fire Lombardi and hire Jim Bob Cooter? And if he does it, even after the first couple weeks of the season, maybe they they rectify the year and maybe sneak into the playoffs. You fucking moron. You still can't tell me that you didn't make a mistake? What is that in your personality? It reminds me of in 2014 with Brad Auswitz and the Tigers and how you were repeatedly warning the fans and everyone on Twitter, anyone that would listen, that you know they can downplay these decisions on July 8th all they want. Just wait for the playoffs to roll around and David Price isn't going to pitch until game three. Basically, you called that shot perfectly. And it's the same thing with Jim Caldwell. And we actually saw that in the postseason with the Lions, too, where you can say, oh, big deal. He didn't go for this fourth down or whatever. You can, you can say, you can write these things off. But it's so hard to win a playoff game in the NFL for anybody except maybe like the Patriots. I mean, it's hard. Even the Giants, who have won two Super Bowls, haven't even made the playoffs in the last four years. It's hard when you get in those positions like they had against the Cowboys where you need one yard and you're going to win that game, and you send the punter out, and he ultimately shanks the punt. But yeah, you cannot make that decision. Even if he gets you to that spot, he's going to screw it up when he gets you there. And this is a guy, this isn't Detroit fans that are just bloodthirsty. We've discussed USA Today released their article a couple of weeks ago. Dead last. He's the worst coach in the NFL. Dead last. He's considered widely nationally to be an absolute joke in game I would love, management. I mean, we, neither of us really like Bill Simmons, but I would give my left testicle just to have Simmons on for a half hour as a Patriots fan to discuss all of the fucking awful decisions the man made when he was with the Indianapolis Colts. Repeated mistakes. Again, so, you know, we're not just... There's a perception maybe that Brad Ausmus is a is a league average manager, which we don't, we disagree with. But whatever, that's the national perception from what I can gather. But this this guy's a national joke in terms of in game management. People couldn't believe we even hired him. He's one so, of the worst I've ever seen. The guy when we hired him was on the verge of getting fired by the Baltimore Ravens as the offensive coordinator. It was a joke that they even hired him in the first place. Um, and now we're stuck with him. It looks for like a third year. People keep saying to me, "Well, Moss, what would it take for you to?" drop your jihad and actually root for this team instead of just openly mock them and hope that they they fail repeatedly. And it would take a GM, even if it was a guy who came in here who was just not one of the top echelon guys, but if that guy came in here and had the balls to say, look, we're getting a new coaching staff, that's what it takes. I don't care who they hire. If Jim Caldwell's the head coach next year, I'm continuing to root against them, hope they fail, and laugh at them when they predictably do. Well, and Jim Caldwell, as bad of a coach as he is, you know, no matter, I don't care how much talent he has, 
that team is never going to win a Super Bowl or get to a Super Bowl, and no team ever will win a Super Bowl, in my opinion, with him. I, he had the benefit of having Peyton Manning to get to one. I, he's so inept. And when you get to that top— When he got outcoached by Sean Payton. Right. When you get to the top—and and that was an, uh, an embarrassing disparity in coaching acumen. But when you get to the top of that mountain, which is all I care about. See, I, I don't buy this moral victories of uh, he made the playoffs, he won 11 games. You know, it was nice because I had a bet on it. I got to make fun of you for a season, but I don't really care. There's plenty hey, of other reasons you can make fun of me. Well, it, it, and you know, in sports, I think that in most cases, I mean, college is a little different. But in pro sports, you're trying to win a title. You know, college. If you're the head coach at Central Michigan, and I'm a CMU student, I'm not going to demand national titles. I mean, that's asinine. But outside of the college sphere, when you're in pro sports, the goal is to win a title. I don't care. I think Caldwell can probably go eight and eight, nine and seven next year. I, I, he might even go ten and six. I don't know. I, we'll see what they do in the draft and in free agency and what whatever. I think I don't think he's so inept that he's going to submarine. He has enough respect from the players that if he has a good roster, he can win between seven and ten games. However, when you get to the playoffs, he's going to fuck it up. Right. We, I mean, we, so you know, I, okay. I, I appreciate that he has the respect of the locker room. When How you, much better of a team would they have to be than everyone else they play just to overcome his in-game stupidity? The huge gap, and when you get to that top of the mountain, there's not a lot of stupid bad coaches that make the postseason. You know, you get one or two. Caldwell's done it a couple of times, but. Typically, you're going against a Sean Payton type or a Belichick type. You're going against pretty sharp, you know, Coughlin before he retired. These are the guys that you have to outcoach in a lot of these situations. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is another example. There's a lot of good coaches out there that you're going to be playing in the postseason, and you can't have these decisions where they win that game. I fully believe the Detroit Lions win that football game against, against the Cowboys if they go for it on fourth and one. The Cowboys' defense sucked that year. They were like and once again. Once again, we have the Detroit Lions, a professional football team in the state, have at best, at best, the third best coach in football in this state coaching their team. At best. Because there's, there's no question yeah. that Harpaw and Antonio are heads and shoulders above I think comatose that, that, Caldwell. That Fleck guy, that Western Michigan coach, is, is better than I mean, he's going to be a major college coach in a year or two. So yeah, I think so maybe he's probably fourth. the fourth. <laughs> maybe uh, who's fourth. the coach at Brother Rice? I don't know. Is Harrington still at Farmington Harrison? One of the Harrington? Is it his son or something? I'm sure I put one of those high school legacies over Jim Caldwell at this point. All right, so that's about the Lions. Anything else you want to talk about the Lions? I, <laughs> You know, what is there to say? I'll just, you know, again, repeat my disappointment, um, you know, from the Lions fan in me that is dying day by day, that they would slide so far down the draft order in, in the rookie cap era. I, th- I thought that was just that was just awful and unfortunately per, un, uh, totally predictable. But I, I, there's not much more that can be said. They are what they are. I, you know, I'm sure I'll be watching the first game of next year, but it was very nice to take two months off, and I highly recommend it to, to anyone that hasn't done that. It was so refreshing to have those Sundays open. Well, we won't have, what, eight months until – a game actually counts for this pathetic organization. Well, I need the break. We can go on a, uh, we can go uh, hope for fifty nine years. Would you one uh, playoff uh, well, game? Just quick hitter. We're not going to get into it, but would you want Chip Kelly? Well, here's what I think that they should do, because they're not going to get anyone um, great to be the general manager. I wouldn't think, based on what we just talked about for the last fifteen minutes, I, I'd be more than happy. 
with a Stan Van Gundy type of situation where they go get like Kelly or Sean Payton or someone of that ilk and then let that person hire the infrastructure, the general manager, the uh, scouting well, Payton staff. Payton would be an absolute home run. Yeah, that's I mean, what. That's Kelly, what. There's no debate of would you want Sean Payton? Chip right. Kelly's a, a little more polarizing. I would uh, take him for the. Record. I, I mean, his record over the last few years is better than the Lions. Obviously, I mean, what do you get fired over pr- bad planning of a holiday party? Ten or and something? six, ten and six, six and nine. Didn't have a good quarterback in any of those years. Well, the it, person I want always is uh, Mike Leach, coach of Washington State. He's a moron, genius. No. Genius. Oh, well, do you want me to go queue up the 60 minutes? He's going to waterboard somebody again. Listen, he should have waterboarded Craig James's son. The only thing I was mad about that he didn't waterboard Craig James. Go lock that fucking conservative lunatic in a closet, please. Mike Leach in uh, 2016 for Moss. Uh, I will always defend Mike Leach. The guy is, he's got the Jasper Apollonia IQ. He is brilliant man, and let him do his wonders here. And, and you know, it, turned I'll, around the Washington State Cougar program. I'll say this about hiring coaches in general, and and I'm so glad I, I heard Coward talking about it on his show this week, and it's something I've said for a long time, and I was saying it specifically with the University of Michigan when I was telling them two years ago to give Jim Harbaugh an empty uh, a blank check. I mean, and just uh, give him whatever he wants. That you get the right coach. That's really the. It's the biggest step. You see these coaches with mediocre quarterbacks winning 10 games every year, Chip Kelly before this year, with terrible quarterbacks going 10-6. and six. Everyone said, oh, he missed the playoffs last year. He went 10-6. and six. Sometimes things shake out poorly. So he, there's no reason to nickel and dime on the coach. I would call up the Saints. You're going to have to trade them picks. I mean, I, I don't know what they would be asking. Oh, I, I don't, if they wanted a second-round pick, I'd give it in a second. Oh, I, well, I think it'll cost more. I agree with that. I, apparently, the Colts had approached them, according to sources with ESPN.com that I, that I was reading about. The, the Colts were trying to get them, and they thought the uh, asking price was too high. Peter King has said that Sean Payton will definitely, in his opinion, he doesn't have a source on it, but in his opinion, will definitely be somewhere else next year. I call up the Saints and say, look, I'll give you, a, you know, two second round picks. I would even give him my one first round pick. I would well, let's that'd be look the only, at the all I give. Let's him, look but. at the history of second round picks with the Lions. Well, it's going back twenty five. I would 30 give him. If I'd give him the first round pick, I would only give him one. But I would give him the first round pick this year to get Sean Payton. And again, and I let him build a, just, build the right and what yeah, I, right. Him, and I agree with your yeah. model. Let him sort of let him pick his you know his Mark power. And you know that's that's I th- I, I didn't even think about that. But I think that's a good idea, but. That's what I'm saying. I, I wanted Michigan from just a college fan perspective, not because I'm certainly not a Michigan fan. But I said, "What are you guys doing? You're the University of Michigan. You're you're dealing with these dime store, you know, Brady Hoke. What the hell are you doing? You're Michigan. Go get Harbaugh. Go get somebody real in here." And they did. They they opened up the pocketbook and brought him in. You're the Lions. They get a a check at the end of the year, the shared TV deal for over two hundred million dollars. You're telling me that you're gonna instead of paying a coach three, you know, uh, you know, you don't want to pay a coach seven million. You're gonna pay him three. I mean, I just I have no patience for that. Pay the extra few million dollars. You're still you own an NFL team. And you you could not sell a single ticket and you're a profitable business by a long shot. And you actually have a supportive fan base. Get the right coach in here. Stop going cheap on this. Call the Saints up right now. Offer them your 16th overall pick if they need a fourth round thrown in, I guess, whatever. But get get Sean Payton. He's one of the best six or seven coaches in football. I'm tired of messing around with when have the Lions had a good coach? I mean, like, you know, where they would say this guy's a top ten coach, not in my lifetime. No, they. I mean, they, just they haven't. Go, they, go, go, go! Get that never guy. had. The, Schwartz, He's available. Go Schwartz, get him. Schwartz will be the first head coach 
that gets rehired after being yeah. fired by the Lions. Yeah, he's getting ever. some. He's he'll get a job. I, I'm just tired. I'm tired of and, and so that's that's the, what's that's the reason? The what, what's the reason not to hire to go get Sean Payton? You because, don't want you don't want to give up the pick. You don't want to pay Jim him. Jim Caldwell's a good Christian man. Okay, well and. But Martha the thing Ford is, if Jim Caldwell and Hamp love Jim Caldwell. If Jim Caldwell so, died story, today, they still wouldn't go get Peyton. I think it's a a structure. It, it, it's a philosophy within that franchise. They just they don't want that big home run. Their guy was Mariucci, who was a total fraud. I mean, really, I gave him. I liked it at the time. I was also like fourteen years old. <laughs> but I mean, I, I liked Mariucci. Mariucci was their first and last ambitious hire, in my opinion. And you know, they swung and missed. But at least they hired a guy that you know was a real guy, at least at the time. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have who on the air? Uh, we're bringing in Rob South in a few minutes. Rob uh, South, member of Poison Clan, uh, formerly of Two Live Crew. Hopefully you got those out of your system before he's actually on. <laughs> I'm not going to talk. You can talk to your professor. What, was uh, Dan Dickerson's uh, wife not available for this uh, interview? No, she was not. Why don't you explain that joke? Uh, I Dan Dickerson's wife was one of my other professors at Michigan State. Journalism, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into what she said about Jamal Hill, but wow, we should. That's what we should close the show with: <laughs> gossip, rumors, innuendo, and speculation. I've heard a lot about Jamal Hill during her Michigan State years, and oh, uh, not one thing nice. <laughs> let's put it that way. All right, Jessica, let's go to a break before I fall asleep. Okay, Thank we'll you. be back. Thank you. This is a previously recorded episode. And we are back, the Detroit Sports Rag podcast. I am Justin Spiro, joined with Jeff Moss and our great producer, Jessica, working, Aww, working thanks, the board guys. over there for us. We are joined by Rob South, who I have a nice little history with through my connections with Michigan State University, one of my former journalism professors, a great guy, the current communications director at Eaton Rapid Schools, former broadcast journalist for NPR, National Public Radio, he had a very confrontational relationship with Mayor Verge Bernero there in Lansing, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he knows what I'm talking about. And um, I think, Rob, Rob, I, I thank you for joining us. I, I, I want to say I, I think most importantly for our purposes for this interview, I want to point out that you are a board member of the SBJ, Society of Professional Journalists, and that's something highly relevant to today. I know you've read my report on Drew Sharp's plagiarism and what I allege is essentially a cover-up by the free press or certainly a lack of transparency. Do you dispute our labeling of this as, as a clear act of plagiarism by Sharp? Well, first let me correct one thing. I'm, I'm on the board of the mid-Michigan chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists. I don't want to overplay my role <laughs> so that we don't think that I'm, I'm on the national board. But um, maybe a little bit. Uh, you know, it's always a, a problem when you have a journalist like Sharp who gets caught plagiarizing. And the 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 question, I guess, from the free press's perspective is, what what are you going to do about it? And uh, this is this is probably causing them a great deal of stress that you keep bringing them up. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with what you you're doing at all. I think it's a, probably a, a good thing for the free press. And as much as Sharp hates to hear it, it might be a good thing for him. Well, I think here's my concern, uh, or one of my primary concerns anyway, is you know we, we break the story on December 24th, and we have all the evidence in there. Everything's you know out on the board. And from that point till now, we have not seen anything from Drew Sharp. We have sources that have essentially confirmed that he's suspended, and we did not present a single shred of evidence, nothing, that the free press did not know on their own. There was no bombshell that we provided. This was all stuff that they were well aware of. 
So obviously they found the behavior or conduct, however you want to phrase it, worthy of a suspension or worthy of at least an extensive investigation, which is ongoing. But they were only willing to do that and only took issue with his conduct after I went public with it. So don't you see that as some sort of admission of, of guilt on their part? What do you expect a news organization to do? To be transparent and report what's going on? Well, that's what the that's what the SPJ Code of Ethics. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. One of the one of the guidelines is be accountable and transparent. It says yeah. journalists should explain ethical choices and processes to their audiences. Encourage a civil dialogue with the public about their journalistic practices. They should respond quickly to questions about accuracy, clarity, and fairness. There have been repeated questions about about the authenticity of his reporting. Drew Sharps about their handling of this matter, and they've not only not been open and transparent, but it's been a total shut door. Don't you see any issue with how the free press has handled this from a management standpoint? Actually, yeah, I do. And and But this isn't unique to the free press. I mean, this is sort of uh, a problem that's been ongoing in every organization for a long time, and it's one that is even greater now in digital media where, you know, people sort of put those ethics aside a bit and say, well, maybe later, and, and they get pushed to the back burner. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that the free press is actually taking it seriously, but you're right. The fact they haven't really acknowledged what's going on it seems a little bit suspect, and I don't know if that is because, uh, you know, they're being arrogant about it and they just don't want to admit it, or if they're trying to put all of their... Uh, all of their eggs in the right basket so that when they do present something, they have something real and tangible to present. But either way, I think I would come out and say, hey, look, the, you know, we're looking into the issue and, and stop, you know, at least try to make them look like they're, they're on the case. I have a few sources inside the building who I talked today to, and they informed me, one, that he has been suspended, which is something we yeah. all presume since he hasn't written anything in two weeks. And the other um, thing that I was told by a couple sources is that there is a pending investigation going on regarding Sharp. And, you know, my my uh, expertise on this situation basically is watching movies about Stephen Glass and Jason Blair. And it right. seems like in those situations there's always what happens is they – hire a few people or they bring in some people from another department and start calling over all of the old articles where this might have yeah. occurred to see if there's a pattern of, of this behavior. Do you think that's something that might be going on and that's kind of why there's this delay? I, I think that's probably the biggest reason. Um, I don't think that, you know, that any major news organization would take this lightly and they certainly wouldn't ignore the possibility that it's happened before. I mean, it, it's, uh, plagiarism is a huge deal for writers, I and mean, it is the third rail of writing. Uh, and in principle, you're going you're gonna to lose your job and probably your career if you get caught. In practice, it's a lot more complicated because there are a lot of things that might be plagiarism that really aren't. And, you know, we all poach stories, but this one was obviously sort of a lazy man's poaching because he didn't do any reporting and he didn't give any credit to the actual author. But at the same time, you know, you, you have to look into it all. You have to do some research, and you have to find out how much more damage there is out there. I mean, if if they find a, a lot of problems like these, I mean, they could just completely wipe Drew Sharp off the face of the free press, and, you know, his history and everything would be gone. So, uh, I mean, it's it, it's more than likely, I mean, it's it's 
probable that they're taking it very seriously and that more will come out of this as time goes on. Not a real surprise that they're not talking about it much, but I am a little bit surprised that they're, they simply say no comment. I mean, you would think that they would at least come out and say, you know, we're taking it seriously and we're looking into it. Uh, obviously, he's been suspended. I mean, Battery went on vacation, which no sports writer is going to go on vacation during ball season. That'd be crazy. So, you know, this, this is, they're taking it seriously. Yeah, I, I can understand them not responding to us, but, you know, Crane's business Detroit, <laughs> you know, get it, telling right. them that we don't want to talk about it to you or Deadline Detroit or the Metro Times, you know, these are fairly reputable, uh, you know, magazines, newspapers, web websites. It's not like they're all, you know, uh, pariahs. We say consider us a pariah, uh, the free press. But, <laughs> so it's I mean, to me, it's like just I can see them saying like we're not going to tell Moss and Sparrow anything. But you know, if someone calls from Crane's Business Trade, I, I don't see what the harm would be. Is like just to say he has been suspended, and we're there's an ongoing investigation, and we'll get back to you when we know more. I, I just don't. That's that's what's really. That's what's really baffling to me, and it's what you know. Several people inside, like I said, that building. Either if they work for the the news or the free press, one you know which end of the JOA that they're involved in. There's a lot of it seems to me like a lot of bitterness about what's going on because it's making these people look bad. I mean, there's people emailing me anonymously uh, information about what's going on inside their own shop because yeah. they're angry at, at how it makes them look. You know, and it's funny because the first rule of communication uh, uh, is to admit the problem and then be as honest as you can about it and then take control of the message. And it doesn't seem like they've done a very good job of admitting there's a problem, uh, taking control of the message, or you know, even, even sharing what might be happening within the organization. That, to me, seems pretty shoddy. I don't, I don't really I, – I don't want to, you know, poke away at the Detroit Free Press, but – you know, whenever something like this happens and the, the people are silent about it, you just it, – it's not a good sign. And, you know, again, I, I want to – not to belabor the point, but, you know, you mentioned they appear to be taking it seriously. And I, I, I wouldn't dispute that at this point, but they knew all this stuff without my help. They didn't need the DetroitSportsRag.com to tell them this happened. I told them everything they already knew. It's alarming to me as a consumer of media, as a, a person with a journalism degree myself – that a news organization would know what they knew and not tell anyone, make a retroactive edit to an online article that, frankly, maybe six people are ever going to see. And basically what I would term is sweep it under the rug. Yeah, they may be taking it seriously now, but only because we came along and reported this. They knew all this stuff on their own. We didn't. This isn't like the Penn State sex scandal where people came forward and, and Penn State had no idea some of these accusers were out there. They have every piece of the pie that was detailed in our report, and they did nothing. And that's what's troubling well, to me. You know, and that, as frustrating as that is, it's also understandable because who wants their dirty laundry aired if it doesn't have to be? And it's hard to say exactly what steps they were taking with Sharp before it became public. I mean, once it became public, they had to, they absolutely had to take action. Um, and, it, you know, let's face it, it happened at the most inconvenient time of the year for the free press and for Sharp for them to put him on suspension. I mean, I'm not much of a sports fan, but I can tell you that bowl season is the wrong time of the year to lose one of your star columnists. <laughs> I mean, that is just, uh, you know, they took a big hit there. My guess, and I'm just speculating, is that they were hoping in, until that they could 
hold on until after bowl season before they actually did anything and they got caught and and now they're just sort of uh, you know they're they're playing catch up and they're not sure what to do next I, that's, I a, guess. that's an excellent point and it's not even one that I had really had thought of because they ended up sending to the Michigan State uh, Alabama game Sean Windsor to really write the columns for uh, for the game and he's not really considered and you know a big time columnist for them. Uh, I, Mitch Album celebrated New Year's in Haiti doing his charity work, and I'm sure he already had. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not even making a joke about it. I mean, no, he, I get it. Uh, you know, uh, normally I would be. But I'm actually kind of being serious here. He, I'm sure he had, uh, you know, this plan for a long time. Album, so it's like they just couldn't pull him out of Haiti and right. and, and say, "Oh, you got to go to the to the game in Dallas." I think it's a very good point you're making. I think they maybe what they were doing was you know hoping to hold on until after the new year and then maybe investigate it more. And like you said, they got caught. And it's you know this isn't the first entity. I mean, this is basically how big business in America works. Until the video came out of Ray Rice beating his his uh, then fiance, there was really no public outcry about what happened until people actually were it was kind of thrown in their face. And in this situation. Right. You know, they did the retroactive edit. They posted not on the website, but in the print edition, that there was some sort of correction made to the article, which pretty much no one really paid any attention to or probably knew what they were talking about. And, you know, I think that's an excellent point you make that they were probably just stringing this along, hoping they could get to uh, January 1st and the Lions season being over. If Michigan State lost in the game, you know, that they wouldn't have to deal with that anymore. And it was going to be a slow time now. And they could have you know, done the investigation, hashed out what happened. I think that's an excellent point you're making. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that, you know, unless it happened when, you know, if the Lions were in the Super Bowl um, yeah. and they had to pull them out of that coverage. Well, that's that a whole other issue that we <laughs> if, if that ever occurred, I think hell would freeze over. So, But, you know, yeah, it's, that's a busy time for them. It's an important time for them. And to, to lose their one of their star columnists, uh, would have been is was probably very expensive, and um, I would suspect that exactly what happened was, you know, let's not let's not talk about this yet until we get through the bowl season and hope nobody nobody dings us. And unfortunately, it happened, and and regrettably, they didn't have any good response for it. I mean, I I would think that uh, as media professionals, they would certainly know how it works and be ready at least with a short prepared statement that would, uh, or make it create a short prepared statement that would at least cover their bases, you know, or, or cover their, you know, cover their, cover their ass. Um, because it is something that, that the paper I'm sure takes very seriously. I don't think that they're trying to sweep it under the rug as much as they're trying to keep it as quiet as possible until they have all all of the details, and can have more control of the message. But yeah, you're right. It, it wasn't handled very well. I'm wondering how you would compare what happened here with what occurred a few years ago with Mitch Album, and and you know writing the article before the game occurred for whatever deadline purposes, and then getting caught. Yeah. I, I, I'm wondering, you know, journalistic integrity wise or ethic ethically, how, how do these two stories compare in your mind? Well, I think Drew Sharp's transgressions are much worse than Mitch Albums, um, and I don't want 
you know, I, I don't want to say that, that when Alvin was writing stories that where he wasn't actually there isn't a problem. Um, but at the same time, you know, what he was writing about was, was sort of accurate. Um, it, and he wasn't really stealing any information from another source. I and mean, he was using his producers and his editors to fill in the gaps, which is fairly common. Um, and, and to be very honest, it's, it's not uncommon for journalists to write stories ahead of time um, and, and then fill in the gaps after the event has happened. I mean, that's, in fact, that's standard practice for a lot of stories because you want to get it out as quickly as possible. Now, saying that he was there is, was uh, kind of an arrogant mistake, in my opinion. But what Drew Sharp did was, was really, it was, it, it's unnecessary in my mind because he had plenty of time to look the story over plenty of time to do his own reporting on it, get in touch with the, with the people who are connected with the story. And, uh, you know, really all you have to do is ask a few questions and, and you've covered your ground, you know, and um, he didn't do any of that. Uh, and, I think, and then, oh, sorry, I was going to say that's a great point with the time sensitivity, but yeah, go ahead. And then he didn't even, you know, bother to give credit to the guy who actually wrote it. So, yeah, this is a pretty serious problem. Well, and, you know, you've been – I think you're a good person to talk to on this because you've been in the academic setting. You know, you've taught journalism classes at Michigan State, one of the best institutions in the country for that field. And you've also worked in the field in a couple different capacities. So, you know, I, I made the point in some of our discussions online about this that when I was a student at Michigan State – if I had done this in your class, you would have failed me. And there's another – I think. I mean, feel free to correct me. Um, you would fail me if, if I plagiarized the story like this. But even worse is – and this wasn't in our initial report. This is something that Dave Harns, the original author, came forward on his own. We didn't even know this. Drew Sharp was confronted about this by his editor when Dave Harns had contacted the editorial staff. And Drew Sharp flat out lied to him, lied to his face about – he said, oh, no, I, I spoke to – you know the sources. Well, the he didn't say he did. What he said was that he had he didn't use Harnes's piece. He didn't for use all Harns. the background. He got it on right. He got, he got it, from, it on. He his said own. he got it from Cook. Right. Said, and then that's and, right. And that's what right. he said he got it from Connor Cook. And then after Harnes kept pressing, uh, the Kevin Bull, the sports editor, said, "Well, come down to the building and we got to meet. And I want you to bring your tape recorder and I want to hear that whole interview because Sharp said it was about fifteen minutes long. Well, it turned out." When Bull heard Sharp's uh, interview with with Cook, it was about four or five minutes long, and none of that background information was discussed, and that's when the jig was up. So that, that's really, yeah. to me, I, I'm almost <laughs> wondering if, if that's almost worse than what the original and transgression all this, was. all this was known. He wrote seven articles since then. All this was still known by the freak before our article. Yeah. Well, again, I think you're right. I mean, it, it, what are you telling your boss? Now, if you're gonna if you're gonna poach somebody's story, and I don't want to make it sound like that everybody does this, but you know, all journalists look at somebody else's work and think that's a great story. But you have to do the legwork. You have to actually make it your own. You have to put your own name on it. And in a case like this, at the very least, you want to give credit to the person who brought it to your attention. I mean, it's not a big deal to just give a hat tip to David Harms. Um, but the fact that he didn't do that. And he didn't even call Miranda McCoy and only interviewed Cook for four minutes or five minutes instead of, you know, 15 and didn't ask him all the questions. I mean, it's, that's just lazy and arrogant. I don't, I don't know how 
you get to a point in your career where you can't take the time to at least do that. Well, the one, my last question on this is kind of, it's, I think the free press might be in a little bit of a bind with the uh, newspaper guild, with the union, because there's been so many of these instances in the past where they have not followed up. The albums, the album story, they basically gave him a slap on the wrist, and in, in, in Mitch was, you know, basically kicking and screaming all the way to his non-apology apology that was published in the paper. Uh, a few years back, uh, a Ch- I got tipped off by a Chicago sports writer that he thought that Mitch Album plagiarized an article of his during a, a Red Wings uh, Blackhawks playoff series, and I wrote an article about it, and I learned from another uh, reporter in town that my article got to Gene Myers' desk, and they just ignored it. And, this, and like I said, I was tipped off by the writer of the story, who was very aggravated that he thought Mitch had stolen something word for word. It's on my, it's on the website, but. It, it was just crazy coincidence, the wording of an article. He mentioned six players in the history of the Red Wings-Blackhawks rivalry. In, in, a, in a specific order, the, the original writer for uh, the Chicago uh, NHL.com website, and then Mitch you know, regurgitated those same six names in the same exact order. And it was just, I mean, it was like a, a billion to one coincidence that could have happened. And the free press completely ignored that. Uh, they ignored an issue with Sharp a few years ago where he wrote about a game that he didn't watch, and it was clear he didn't watch. There's just been so many of these things that have occurred, and they've just basically not done much about it, that I'm wondering if Sharp's defense is, well, why are you calling me on the carpet when you've done nothing in the past on these other situations? Well, that would be something that the management at the free press would have to answer. <laughs> no, yeah, you know, and, I, 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 yeah. And, and, there's, I mean, there's a lot of money that is involved with this, and and when you get to that level, you, you know, it you almost have to ask yourself what's what's driving this good journalism or money, and very frequently I think it's just money, and uh, so what happens next is anybody's guess. You know, you don't want to lose somebody like Mitch Album, and you know he has fans everywhere and detractors everywhere, but he's still a huge money maker, and it would be a big loss for them. And um, it, it could be very similar with Drew Sharp, where they are just saying, how do you solve this problem when it would cost us a lot of money if we get rid of him? Well, Rob, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that was certainly illuminating, I think. It was good to talk to someone thank that's you, not, not just a blogger and, and knows a thing or two about not this. A flame, not a flamethrower like me. Not a lunatic like the guy across the desk. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It was great. Love to have you back sometime. Hey, no problem. Yeah, really appreciate it. Rob thank you South, uh, former professor of mine at Michigan State, a, a really sharp guy and really knows the inner workings of the media and just the, really a strong, ethical guy, knows a lot about the ins and outs of that business. So it was great to have him. Uh, I think we're going to bring on a, a next guest well, here. Well, I haven't heard, have I heard, from, this I haven't guy heard from Motor City Muckraker yet. So we'll take a break, and we'll come back, see if I can get a hold of him. If not, uh, we can come back and talk about the ML Elric uh, confrontation last week that we had. I liked your perspective since you were actually watching it from uh, what the media – Media room at the the cotton. I know. I was actually watching the Elric confrontation on the bed of the RV. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we could talk about maybe some Michigan, Michigan State. If we can't get a hold of sure. Muckraker, and we we'll have plenty to say about that too. Finish up this uh, first episode of the DSR podcast for 2016. 
This is a previously recorded episode. 617, back on the DSR podcast. I'm Jeff Moss. He is Justin Spiro. Enjoyed that conversation with your former professor. Yeah, he was he was good. I, I thought his very strong stance on Sharp being worse than album was, was good and something I agree with and frankly not something we've had any journalists go on the record as saying. So I, I, and I again the, here's the point that I've made repeatedly and I made it in the original report that there is a precedent to handle something like this, not just in the media world, not just with other publications, but with the free press. When Mitch Album had his issue, they issued a statement on the front page. They they said this is exactly what happened that we know of. We are investigating this further. Mitch Album is suspended indefinitely. They posted eventually an apology from Mitch Album, which okay, coerced, but whatever. I mean, they coerced it. That says something right there from the editorial staff standpoint. So there there is a precedent for how to handle this. I do not buy this excuse that they're trying to get their ducks in a row or they want to make sure they have the full picture. They knew plenty to put the brakes on it and not let him publish another thing, and they didn't do it. And I'm going to remain critical of that. There's nothing they could say or do. He wrote seven articles from when they found out. And they found out – not only when they found out that he plagiarized, when they found out that he had lied. Right. And that's – I think that's that's key too. But I think what uh, Rob Bass said in that interview was – that was his name, right? Rob South. Oh, Rob South. Just got a mental block on that. Uh, what he said, what I thought was a crucial point, which is nothing that something that we hadn't thought of, was it was like the worst time chronologically for this to happen with all of the with the lion season, the bowls, all of that stuff, and they're spread thin because they have to have someone cover the Michigan, a Florida game, which they sent Seidel. Album is <laughs> off in Haiti, and they had nobody to cover. The Michigan State Bowl game, and, and really, if you really think about it, for take a look at it, it, what's that really tell you about what they think of Seidel? Because Seidel is technically, I guess, their third columnist, who the, the guy who replaced Rosenberg, and they sent him to a meaningless Michigan-Florida game, basically, instead of sending him and rerouting him to Dallas to cover one of the biggest, foot, in my opinion, one of the biggest football games in the state of Michigan during my lifetime. I, I don't think there's any argument. The Lions have never been in a Super Bowl. I would I would put up the, the Michigan State-Alabama game last week. I would probably put that in the same atmosphere as the Lions against the Redskins back in 91 in the NFC Championship game. Uh, Michigan against Washington State in the Rose Bowl, which led to a shared national title. Maybe some of the Michigan-Ohio State games that were 1-2 type of deals. But other than that, I mean, that's like... An, Am I wrong in thinking that was like one of the top five football games in the state of Michigan over the last 30 or 40 years, and they have Sean Jared Fogle Windsor covering it as the columnist? Their their bench is so weak that they don't have anyone to to come in and, and handle the situation. And, and the thing is, if they get rid of Sharp, however, you know, based on the original investigation, if they found something else. If he's gone, you probably could hire three kids out of Syracuse or Northwestern, 25-year-old kids who are better writers than Sharp, who actually write what they mean and not troll the entire state of Michigan for the cost of what you're paying Drew Sharp. You could cultivate some new talent, something that they haven't done there since basically they hired Album. 
1986 or 85 or whatever it was. Well, and you know, I always assume that Drew Sharp got clicks. I mean, when you when you go through the comments section on the Freep, their articles, Drew Sharp always has the most comments in terms of the sports page on his. So, I mean, the proof's kind of in the pudding. But that is something that has been said to me repeatedly by people not willing to go on the record. But sources in the media, and I believe you've had these discussions as well, have said that Drew Sharp really moves the needle for them. So I don't think there's any disputing, at least between you and I, that they could hire some 25-year-old kid that would be much better, that would not have Michigan State football in 2013 ranked 12th when they finished the year ranked third. Hey, and he's a poor man, Skip Bayless, but, right, which is but, another th- But he's effective from a business standpoint. I guess. We, now, you and I'm I have, a little surprised by that. We but. Have what, that's, but that's what I've heard. But even from your own deduction and observation of, of what's going on here, the way – just again, just click the guy's columns. I mean there's 47 comments on, on the least commented article he's written, and then the average one has like seven. I mean – Again, that's not the only metric Facebook comments, but he does move the needle. That's something that has been said to me a few times that Drew Sharp is popular. Fred Brown in Denver knew who he was. You know, so right. he, he does get more and I'm not saying he's he gets more clicks than anyone in the state or that he's invaluable or that they can't lose him, but he's certainly more valuable than, you know, his his clicks above replacement level is pretty good. And we'll, and we'll, something we talked about before the show started uh, in the preparation for tonight's episode was the fact when this happened to Album, you know, most people like Mitch. You know, the website has an issue with him over the last 10 or 15 years because he didn't view sports as his main priority and we got pissed off at that and he's been pretty bad for 10 years. But most people out there like Mitch Album. They give him credit for his charity endeavors. He's they, respected. They think he's a good guy. Yep. Yeah, we're very well respected. Even in, in people the that don't like him deeply respect him. I mean, I, like I said, I don't like his act the last few years, but even I will give him credit for some of the things he does when he's not working for the paper. Drew Sharp's problem is that, unlike Mitch Allum, people don't like him. They despise him. They hate him. Yeah, he'll. I guess he gets cheap heat and gets clicks because of his stupid articles. But those people who are reading do not like him. And the fact that this has happened to him puts him in a very precarious position. If you're going to be the troll, if you're going to be the wrestling heel, you have to be above board. Because if something like this happens to you, you will never, ever hear the end of it. You've just given all the people who can't stand you, who think you're a disingenuous human being, and have made a living writing shit just to attract attention to yourself, everywhere he goes, he's going to hear about the plagiarism. It's going to be in the comments sections. If he writes another column for the paper, people are going to call. If he's not, Matt Derry said he's going to be on the show tomorrow on 105.1. He hasn't been on since this investigation broke. It would be the first time he's appeared. They've had a multitude of guest hosts. Uh, they haven't explained why he hasn't been there. It's a bunch of BS. But if he's on tomorrow, they better have three call screeners <laughs> to figure out the people who are trying to call in just to dagger him about the plagiarism. Well, they, they go several segments consecutively from what I've heard with no calls. So really, they're going to be inundated. It's not – if we had three we've, – we've had multiple people tell us the second he's on there, they're calling in. I mean on Twitter, it's been discussed right. in the DSR Facebook page. I even, you and I don't have to do anything. 
Well, I mean, the, yeah. These calls are going to be made you know, without our direction or encouragement, But although we will find that funny. But I think you make a great point. He doesn't have – he doesn't have any goodwill built up. He's got no, he's got no, no cachet whatsoever. I think, and I'm again not to steal from Coward twice in the same show, but Coward always says, you know, when when a Democrat gets caught in a scandal, he gets a little more leeway, not just because the media is liberal, but because Democrats tend to be a little more tolerant, a little less judgmental. But there's something so skeevy about a Republican, a, a Tea Party, like the Corser Gamrat scandal, where right. they're they're pounding the Bible and preaching the morals and ethics that other people need to abide by. And then when that person gets caught, they just – they don't get that that free pass or, or you know, they don't have that benefit of forgiveness that someone that has been more tolerant and accepting of other people. When you're judgmental, when you're, you're as you say, the heel, you don't get that. And, and you shouldn't get that. And I, I, I think that's a great point. Drew Sharp is one of the worst people, if not the worst person, for this to happen to in this market – where you're already despised, I and not just and not just despised by fans, his colleagues but, don't like him. But and, and, well, forget that the teams. I was told he was kicked out of the Michigan press box that he wasn't allowed. I don't know if that's still true. The Lions can't stand. Well, him. John U. Bacon was kicked out of the Michigan press. I box. I believe Sharp there. was too. Well, I'm saying John. Right. You, I'm just well, saying, yeah. I, a, teams not teams kicking someone out. Usually, I, I think it's a badge of honor. It's just everywhere typically. he goes, everywhere he goes from now on, if he continues a job and. Detroit sports media. Whoa. This is just going to follow him around, like you know, uh, it, it just it's just going to be everywhere, and people are going to constantly throw it in his face. And you know, Fred Brown, who was quoted in, in our follow up story with the SBJ, he's the head of the ethics board. He knows Drew Sharp and said he's lazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just that he just fly, he he used the word lazy, and, and we quoted him on that was on the record. I mean, he 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 said you know people like Drew Sharp. They're just they're lazy journalists. They're just gonna he 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 summed up Drew Sharp in the same way that we've been saying it for years. He's just a lazy guy that's gonna sit back on his on his couch and and say the most inflammatory thing he can think of, and just sit back and and enjoy the heat from it. And I somebody like that, I just I have no sympathy for. You know, I I had uh, my own parents questioning the timing of this article, saying, you know, can't you wait until December twenty seventh or whatever? But <laughs> yeah, I, I, when you have the story, you have the story. If I, it's not like we, we didn't we didn't we sit didn't on like it. sit on it. Like, no, we, we, we were done. We were, with work, the, I mean, I was we were working through the night. Yeah, I mean, you worked on the story until five in the morning. I woke up at five in the morning and and was past uh, the baton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I and I traveled up to try to get the uh, original article in print up to Ann Arbor. It I was, came out. When I, it came I, out. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was. I was working on it at Christmas Eve in Zingerman's, making edits right until the time we posted it. So it's not like we We're, just sabotaged them and posted it on Christmas we've, Eve. We've, we've you know discussed the ethics and the, the dubious behavior of the free press ad nauseum, but just looking ahead, what's next? You know, I, I would have to think that in the next week or so, there's going to be some type of announcement, whether he's suspended or he's fired or bought out or whatever it is. How long can the, can this go? I mean, don't you agree that within a week or so at the most, something's going to come out? What are they going to? He's not going to write for two months, and they're going to no comment this to death. Do you know what, what the final shoe to drop would be? Would be if the news or M Live reported on, which for some bizarre reason, neither of them have picked up on it. And you could say, well, the news isn't going to do anything because of the JOA. But the news was all over the Mitch Album stuff. Yep. They wrote many articles about what happened with Album. Why have they been so quiet on? this Drew Sharp stuff, and why have people getting pressured? I'm not going to go into it, but let me tell you something. There have been people, they, they know not to fuck with us because we just, 
if someone emails us and tries to scare us into going away, we're just going to post your email. I mean, you. I mean, it's a long history of that. Yeah. You, you send me an email saying you better stop or watch out. Better and, stop calling Rob Parker. Yeah. was Sam Mitchell's bitch or whoever that was. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I mean, going back years, I was making fun of Parker, and I got an, a letter from or an email from the Detroit News, one of their attorneys, saying I better stop or they were going to sue me. And I said, EJ Mitchell's bitch. Yeah. EJ Mitchell's bitch was. I think he was his sports editor at that time, yep, maybe. Yep. Uh, and I just said, fuck you. I just posted it on the website, their email, and then I had my attorney call them and just fuck with them. And that made the Metro Times back then. So, I mean, yeah, they're not going to contact us because they know it's going to be fodder for the website. But I've been told other people associated with this story have been – there have been some heavy-handed types of uh, comments made to them that they might want to stay away. So – Take with that forever what it's worth. Uh, I know we're terrified. That's yeah, sure. I'm real scared. I'm scared. Let, let, let's talk about another subject that occurred off air last week. We had to end the podcast at about this time because I had to get over to the Fox 2 studios to confront Pulitzer Prize winning uh, ex-free press writer, current Fox 2 news investigative reporter, ML Elric, which we did on – Periscope, and you can see that entire video on the DSR website. You were uh, in Dallas in an RV getting ready for the Michigan State game. I was wondering if you had any comments about uh, the discussion that I had with ML in the outside the security gate of the Fox 2 studios in, I think, about 18-degree weather where I my, the feeling in my fingers just came back. You didn't even get to go in? No. I, I, we pulled up. To the security gate, and I said, hi, I'm Jif Mist, and I'm here to see ML Elric. And he's like, uh, stay right here. Go park over there, like outside the security gate, and he'll come out to see you. So when he came out, I got out of my car, and we were outside. Of, he would, They would not let us in. Now, keep in mind, this is a station that I used to do uh, sports work. Sports work. Yeah. I used to be like a – semi-regular person on the Friday show. I think I appeared, I don't know, five times. Before. And I think, you know, I, I think they stopped doing that Friday show. So I was never – and I, not that I would have ever been on again because I think Dan Miller's had enough of me. But, um, yeah, I mean I used to be let into that gate. But I'm – so now I'm standing in freezing weather, Jasper's videotaping, ML and I discussing his issue with me because he was bombing me on Facebook. And I said to him, like, what the fuck's your problem? And he didn't like some of the comments I made. So he said, if you're such a keyboard tough guy, show up at the studio, which I did. And I was just wondering if you had any comments about what went down. Well, first of all, I, I thought you handled it well. I, I thought you were deferential when it was appropriate. And I thought you were very complimentary of his work, which I also thought was appropriate. I think you and I both have, I would say, a, a high level, if not profound level of respect for the work that Elric has done. I, I thought he did a great job with the Kwame Kilpatrick case. I thought he – I think his entire career has been pretty solid investigative work. So really this was about his attack on you and, and making the curious decision – he must not know you that well – of daring you to appear in person. I mean, this well, is like the 17th time this has happened and you're batting a thousand. I mean, you know, if someone's going to nobody t- does anything well, ever. You will you'll, you'll show up every time and it's not I mean, it's not like a tough guy thing. It's just, you know, it's the same reason I approached Graham Couch in Dallas at the hotel when you know, I see Graham Couch in the room. I've been I was bombing him 12 hours earlier, you know, the night before 
I'm not going to not go up and introduce myself and say, hey, I'm, you know, I would feel like a total coward. So, you know, this he calls you to the mat, he challenged you to come, and you, and you came. It's not like you came with a baseball bat, but you no. said, like, hey, I'm Jeff Moss, and why do you feel this way about me? I thought you were, you know, handling it well. I mean, you're basically doing what he does, you know, going and getting someone, not in someone's face, but approaching them and, you know, asking them questions. And you asked him to justify some of his stances, and I thought he, he did a relatively poor job of doing it, but... You know, I, I didn't have any problem with anything you or Jasper did. I thought you were polite. I thought it was handled um, in a mature way. And I honestly, I, I have the feeling, and I, I don't know, but I have the feeling that Elric has taken great offense to things you've said about certain friends of his, not just McCarty. You know, he made Drew Lane. Re- Drew Lane, perhaps. I mean, I don't know his. He made some comment about Drew Lane's, like, someone dying, and I made fun of it, which was. He, I don't know I, what that. I don't and know. I, what, and, and I first said, like, I never said that, and then he backed off. You know, what it, what it seemed to me was he was not that familiar with the website. And this happens on Stern Show a lot where Stern will say something and then someone who doesn't listen to the show will be told by a friend, oh, this is what Stern said about you and blah, blah, blah. And then that person just hates the Stern Show because they heard second. And I think everything he was telling me that he had a problem with me or main, most of it was stuff that someone else had told him. Yeah, he was, like he was being tell, fed. He, he was not in. He was not intimately familiar with the work no. of the DSR. He he had sort of a periphery, basic understanding, and and you know obviously had his own interaction with you regarding Darren McCarty. This is a guy that to me came off as he was steadfastly defending certain friends of his in the media. I don't know who his contacts are, but you've certainly offended enough people that I'm sure you've offended his entire social circle. So, you know, I, I don't know why Jessica's laughing. At me. I think he, I think he came. Well, it, yeah, I mean, we Jessica's only known you a couple months, and she knows how you work. You know, yeah, but you know what? I like you. Everybody else may hate you, but I think you're cool. Well, Thank I, you. I like Jeff. I'm not but, cool, but okay. Yeah. Um, but I you know, cool. I again, I, I understand why he handled it the way he did. I mean, he thinks he's defending his friends or whatever. I, I personally, and maybe I'm wrong. I'm speculating, but I think he just flat out made up stuff. I mean, I, I don't know where he got this thing about you were calling someone, making fun of it, or someone lost their job or whatever that nonsense was. The only thing I could think of he was, totally backed down. The, the only thing I could think of that was two in, two two incidences. I thought what he might have been talking about where he got confused about something. Maybe when, like when Derry left ninety seven one, I think I texted him for a comment about like what happened for an article I was writing. But I wasn't making a. I wasn't making fun of him for losing his job, and b. I didn't know that he was at that point. I basically thought he left. I didn't even know that it was kind of ninety seven one's decision. So I really don't think it could be that. And I'm being totally honest about the situation. And if he would just would have told me when I kept saying. Tell me the story of what you're – and I'll address it. I'll address anything. That was the purpose of being there. If you wanted me to address something, tell me. And the other thing was I kind of made a joke with Fellhauer when Fellhauer when, – when Drew left. But Fellhauer didn't even get fired. He's still on the damn station. And so I don't think you called anybody at home. I mean that's – Call that, anybody at home. That, I don't have anyone's home phone number. That's that's really where it, it – And then someone said it might have – they thought because when Mayhew – I went to Mayhew's house when Sue left, but he hadn't been fired at that point. He still was, was like, gainfully like, employed. Was a couple years ago, a year no, ago. Yeah, yeah a I mean, he ago. wasn't yeah. fired. So, so, I mean, I, I don't. that was kind of pulled out of his ass from, from my estimation. But, you know, Elric has been one of the guys. Well, his main thing was posting a picture of Luan's wife. That seemed to be his biggest fair, beef. I mean, fair criticism. And I said it was yeah, fair. I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I, I can get behind him not liking that. No, I— 
first of all, I'm not sure I like that I did that. But I'm a crazy person. And like I told him, this the, the Lions had called the cops on me. I mean, where where does that eventually play out when someone calls a police station, says, come to our facility, we have a crime to report, and there's a police report saying that William Clay Ford Sr. is the victim and that Jeff Moss is the uh, suspect. Where did the Lions think that was going to play out Eventually, were they trying to get me arrested? I love that there's a police report that has you as the perpetrator and William Clayford Sr. as the victim. Yeah, like I mean, literally listed as the victim. It's in my office. I mean, between that, between me getting confronted outside of the uh, Comerica Park gates for ra- apparently harassing uh, Doug Karsh, Doug Karsh yeah. you know, your, long your history incident of- with the golf course. I mean, how many times have the police have been called to handle our affairs? Um, of over nothing. And it's like, okay, I got angry about that. And. Should I have posted a picture of Tom Luan's wife? I think I'd probably be the first to admit that that was uh, crossing a line. I probably shouldn't have. But I was fucking pissed. These people called the police on me, and I was retaliating with any any way I could possibly retaliate. And there was a really good article with uh, Steve Nevelinger with the Motor City Muckraker guy, the guy who writes for that site. And uh, Rob South was in the discussion, the guy we had uh, as a great guest earlier tonight, and multiple people on Facebook. Elric was in the discussion. It's where you had your confrontation. Elric was basically saying that our Drew Sharp report had no value because of the source, even though it wasn't really – there was no leap of faith. It wasn't auspice will be fired, garden hires coming in. I mean it was something that the evidence was all there. And he was basically saying the report had no value because it was posted on Jeff Moss's website. And I never bought that. It's something we've heard a couple of times from people, you know, oh, if, if this were posted somewhere else, it would have some credibility. It's not credibility. It's, it's The evidence is there. I mean, who did they go and to? And he's wrong anyway. It does have credibility because the guy's suspended now. Well, and, I mean, that too, but it, that's such a dumb argument. You know, you look at, like, who have been some of the most famous tipsters for the FBI, former mobsters. You know, who, who did Curry's go to to find a serial killer? Uh, you know Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, obviously a Hollywood example, but it's true. You don't just because just because the source may be a little skeevy or uncomfortable for you, or you don't like them, doesn't mean the information's not good. And I, I thought that was a lazy way of disregarding the report. And well, and, and then, then 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 he's, he's he has a printout. I don't know if you could see because uh, it was dark. We were outside. It was six thirty seven o'clock at night. But he had printed out that Facebook exchange. He starts bombing me about going after that guy that person who was attacking me some guy goes on facebook and is just blasting me and i have no ability to respond according to ml elric then he says in on facebook makes an accusation that my wife is getting fucked by some other guy or something i don't know if you even saw this elric did or this other no no, guy? no this other guy oh, okay. this brian mcnair or something I who i, I used to think, think who used to be i think on the old tsr forums and he's bombing me and saying my wife's getting fucked by other guys so me being Jeff Moss, I went on his Facebook page and found his obese wife and started just posting pictures of her. So Elric's bombing me. Like, I can't defend myself. I mean, I'm a quasi-public figure at this point where people know about me just because they've read, read the website for 13 years and they know things about me. So they can attack me for certain things, but I can't go deep into their Facebook page they were stupid enough not to make private to the public. And I can't do that. I mean, it's like, yeah, maybe it's childish what I do, but I, I don't. Other than just not doing anything, how do you fight back when you're a semi-public figure and some person makes accusations like that, 
towards you. Well, he's he's being a selective moralist. You know, it's an issue when you do it because he doesn't like you. You know, but again, I, I I understand why he would be defensive. As I've said, I'm sure there have been multiple friends and colleagues of his that you've deeply offended over the years, and I think that's just what he was doing. He was trying to be, you know, the righteous warrior. I like Elric overall. I like Elric I, too. But I don't. You know, here's my I thought problem. That was, it's unfortunate that he despises you so greatly. Well, but. here's here's my problem with Elric. Okay, you've made a career, you've made a name for yourself by going after a corrupt person. Now. Granted, that person was in city management, Kwame Kilpatrick or uh, George Cushenberry Jr., I think. He's now his latest target at Fox 2, uh, who's a member of the city council, I believe. It just seems to me if you're going to be going after people for malfeasances, it's probably not a good look to co-host a show with a guy like Darren McCarty. That's the only point I was making. A man who's got a long rap sheet who in your own paper when you were still employed there, his ex-wife contacted the paper and said that Darren took $20,000 from me, ran it up on a credit card, uh, went to the casino she worked at, lost it gambling, then took her car and drove from like Calgary, Alberta to Detroit, didn't tell her, left a Dear Jane letter saying he was divorcing her, and doing all of these things that have been public. And Elric's like defense of McCarty is, well, that's all. He's he's been he's been honest and open about it. Like, what? That's that's your defense for doing a show. And I said to him, which he had no good argument for. It's like, well, if you got paired up with someone, you just. I'm like, no. They, the old um, Detroit studio we used to do the TV show out of. Uh, what was it called? Uh, you Detroit Cafe. You Detroit Cafe. They approached me about doing a show for opening day with Denny McLean. And it was Brian Pistoria who ran the place, and I said to the Brian, "I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm happy to do a show with Damon Perry that I'm doing, but I don't want to do a show with Denny McLean unless I'm allowed to go on the show and bomb Denny McLean for stealing the pension money from the people up at uh, Pinconning, where or the racketeering or all the shitty things he's done in his life. I'm not. I don't. I don't want to be associated with him." So I made that decision, which could have been good for the DSR, doing a show with Denny McLean. And I said flat out, I'm not doing it unless I can attack the guy. So you had a choice, ML, to appear on that show or not. And is the you know you know, and you can go even deeper. Like you said earlier in the show, that that Drew Lane and Mark Fellhauer show was 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 an embarrassment. And he he was quick. He was very aligned with that program, and the homophobia. The overt racism of that show. Uh, you can say anything you want about the DSR, but I'm pretty sure that nobody would ever make an accusation other than maybe Terry Foster because he's just a big dummy. That we've are not very, very uh, socially. Um, I don't know what the word I'm even looking for. I mean, for. socially liberal, appropriate, but just <laughs> I mean, appro- yeah. I mean, we, we we're, we're pretty politically we, correct. I yeah, mean, put yeah. It, not even political. I don't think we're politically correct, but we're not making racist jokes. We're not bombing I think, gay I just, I people. Think, I think we're equal opportunity haters. Yeah, really. and, I mean, and that's, we're not. But that's what that show was about. And your friends are crappy people. I'm sorry. And if I go after them, I, I don't really think you should get butt hurt for um, for for what we do. And his, you know, we're in your face. He's in your face. I mean, his argument was that I'm not a journalist. I mean, I've never claimed to be a journalist. I have a blog where we do entertaining things. 
Uh, we do things for effect. That's, that's the common retort, though. I mean, going you're in, not a professional, okay? Yeah, I mean, that's, I've never claimed to be. I mean, we're yeah. trying to entertain people. Whether or not that's writing an article like you did about Drew Sharp is really informing can, can, and entertaining. We can, yeah. we can dip going into to a Mitch Album yeah. and, and, and get a book signed by him and, and, and make a goof out of it. I mean, we're doing all this stuff. Yeah, I'm guilty if you want to claim that I'm not M.L. Elric or Jim Schaefer or the reporters of the Boston Globe who uncovered the uh, – pre-sex abuse scandal but that's not what we're that's not what i'm trying we've to never do. we've never purported to be that it's really just a, a club that occasionally reports on shit i mean that's right that's, that's, i mean you know it's for our own entertainment for the most part i mean I, I think that's why you and i do it i i don't think we're setting out to change the world I, i've never applied for a credential you know what, I, a, what a bomb i just got from tony paul what did tony he asked to me if the podcast is eight hours long Oh, well, that's very what, mean. That's very mean of Tony. I, I think can't he, believe Tony would say that. Well, maybe he's just asking me because, because of poker tonight. I told him I couldn't play poker because of the podcast. Oh, now well, that I think if, about if Tony's it. listening to this, uh, thanks for the invite, Tony. You know I'm in town. I'm not in Chicago anymore. I haven't been in Chicago for five months. But uh, <laughs> Tony told me a thousand times, like, as soon as you're back, man, I'll invite you to poker well, if you want to play poker tonight and leave your pregnant wife? Uh, I'm probably going up to East Lansing tonight. Movers are getting there at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. But I got to say, uh, Tony's really letting me down. I was promised a, a brigade of poker night invitations and have not received but one. So <sighs> I got to uh, get up early tomorrow, too. I got yeah. a great day today, tomorrow. I got. Are you go, going to here's report my on? Here's my day. I got to take my dad for a follow-up for his chemo. Then I got to go take Marlo to get his nuts cut off. And then I've got to go to a funeral. It's, it's going to be a beautiful Wednesday. Is the funeral for Marlo's nuts? I feel bad no, for you. Is it a, isn't it like Sounds a, like a terrible day. Geez, and you wonder why I'm in a lousy mood today? I'd be in a lousy mood, too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really the gamut. Like, and poor Marlo. The, the worst part about Marlo is that, like... Like, you know, Chili had, like, small nuts when we had to get him neutered. Like, Marlo's got these huge balls. I, I, I'm, like, afraid for his own, like... He's got those, like, they, Christmas ornament balls. He's got, like, he's, got a, he's like a horse. He's going to be gelded. I mean, this fucking guy, he's like, he's like a porn star. He's like the bulldog in Van Wilder. Just and so I, I, the, yeah, right. And I just yeah. keep sitting there looking at him today thinking, oh, my God, this dog's going to hate me after tomorrow. Yeah, his, I mean, his, his shit's about to get thrown, it sounds like. So that, that sounds like a good day for you. Tomorrow? It's, yeah. Follow yeah. up to chemo. When, my when my are, dog's got to get his nuts slashed. When are you going to do all your like funeral. journalism media stuff that Elric says you purport to do? When's all, <laughs> when, when's that on the itinerary? Is that I don't I Between don't know. 2 and 4 o'clock, you're going to do some I, – I, I, I got to actually do some insurance work tomorrow. Yeah. So, so you're going to actually do like your real job? My real job. So I, tomorrow, you're not, not going to be too busy being a wannabe all day tomorrow? No, and I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of wannabe stuff happening regarding the uh, – Sharp story. I have a feeling a lot of stuff's going to happen tomorrow. So when you will need we? To be when, when when will we know? Hope you're, hope you're around. Tell me when will we know? We got to wrap up. Just tell me when will we know this Drew Sharp story? When when's the freak going to address this publicly? Five days from now. What's today? The fifth. Yeah, I would almost guarantee by the fifteenth we're going to know how it plays out. Yeah, I I can I can get down with that. I, they, there's no way they go a whole month. I mean, you know, any more than ten days. Now you're pushing a month. So right. we're already I think, at almost I think two we'll, weeks. I, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we know something by the end of the week. Yeah, Things are starting to we're creep, hearing stuff. creep out. We're hearing stuff. I, I will have to say one more thing before we wrap up. It seems like every time I'm with you, a member of Howard Stern's Whack Pack dies. Uh, the last time it was when we went to, went to the Lions-Green Bay game, and I was walking out, and I got noticed that um, Eric, the actor, passed away. And then just a few minutes ago, I found out that Whack Packer Riley Martin, 
who was abducted by aliens many years ago. Uh, he passed away. I like to say a final Oquan Tanjiwan to uh, Riley Martin. I'm sure your mother will be very upset about this news, not that you have any clue. Oh, yeah, by the way, how did your mom react to the fact? By the way, Jessica, his mom loves yeah. Howard Stern. Is a big. He's never oh, listened. Oh, really? Yeah, in their basement of his, their parents' house, there's a huge private parts, the movie, uh, signed by all, like Howard, Jackie Martin, oh, and wow. Robin Quivers. I, I've had my eyes on it. I'm going to steal it one day. Um, but Your mom so loves his mom, Stern. So, 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 so as Justin bombed us for having an hour-long private inside bit of Sour Shoes, how, what was your mom's reaction to us having Sour Shoes on the program? I, I said it was she – when I told her that Sour Shoes was on the show that I'm usually on for – I said an entire segment. I didn't realize it was that long, but I said for an entire segment. He wouldn't it, leave. It was it – No, was, he was awesome. Oh, and I did look him up, and he, he is pretty cute. I, was, I told yeah. you. Your boyfriend better watch out. Look out. My, my mom acted like we had Paul McCartney on the show. I mean, it, was, I, I, it was. I'm not kidding. It was like, what? You got him? How'd you get him? Did you pay him? $120 you, to, to his PayPal how did you? How did you get Sour Shoes on the show? How, like, how'd you even find him? You know, so it was like this huge deal. And I said, that, nah, he liked that. I mean, I like the prank that he did, you know, with Fennec, but... I, I listened to a couple minutes of it, and I wanted to blow my brains out. But um, I'm glad you guys had your fun. And uh, I was thoroughly amused. Oh, but, okay. you know, it doesn't really take much, so there's well, that. The best was when he – I don't know if he even got to the point where he said that um, – Probably not. He, I got to he, about 2% of he, it. He got to the point where – he well, he at one point said that, that Russo was mad at him for the for pranking Fennec. Like, like, it got, was he serious or was it a No, 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 no. He was serious. Like it got back to Russo that he did – that he pranked Henning. And Fennec, or he guess he calls he for some reason he always calls him Fennich. I think I think because I think because Russo butchers name, so I think that's why Sauer does it. Like he knows it's Fennec, but yeah, I guess it got back to Russo that he in his name pranked the two of them and like fucked with them, and Russo was pissed off. That's funny. Yeah, yeah that was. That so I, was guess, I guess I would have enjoyed thirty eight seconds of that hour. Ugh, Un- unbelievable, unbelievable. I, well, I had fun. I would say R I P to. Uh, our good friend Riley Martin, uh, very sad. I, it's hard for me to carry on the show, knowing we will never hear that program again. I never got my symbol, so it looks like I'm going when the aliens come back. I, you, you never got your symbol either. Obviously, we're all going to die. Oh well, it's kind of a sad note. Yeah, to end sometimes this show I kind of want to die. Yeah, yeah. Well, how about tomorrow? How about my day tomorrow? Depressing me. How about my day tomorrow? Yeah, like REM. Everybody hurts to close the show. Yeah, right. Oncology, (laughs) doctor's appointments, castration of my dog. You guys think about starvation in third world countries? Any thoughts? (laughs) Probably worse than our lives. Yeah, I appreciate. uh, Maybe we'll have. uh, We're gonna. We will definitely get Motor City Muckraker on the program. I think he was up against a deadline. He told me earlier. Maybe next week he'll come into the studio and hang out. Um, any ideas for next week's show? I mean, that's a good start. You know, I think uh, we might have the Drew Sharp bombshell by then, so that that could be a big Can you imagine thing. if the DSR is responsible for... No, Drew Sharp's responsible eliminating, for eliminating. No, 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 but if, we, if, if our report is the reason that he's no longer a menace to the society of Detroit sports, we should just probably shut, shut down, close up. I mean, we're never going to top that, right? <laughs> Yeah, take the take the blue ribbon, I guess. I mean, whatever happens to him is, you know, his own doing. We haven't done anything mm-hmm. to Drew Sharp, so. Well, thanks a lot. Keep keep being Captain Buzzkill. 
No, I mean, I want to yeah, take credit for it. Yeah, no, I mean, we, it would. I want be, it on my. I want that notch on my head. It would. It would be to our credit, but you know, something about the guy losing his job, even someone I don't like. Oh, is, he's, a, he's a piece of shit. Oh, well, I don't care if he loses his job. He deserves to, but that's not up to me, as Dave Harns would say. <laughs> All right, that's the uh, episode. Of what twelve? I think of the DSR yep, podcast number one two. Yeah, thirty dozen. Thirty dozen. We'll be back next Tuesday at 5 o'clock. Thanks, Spiro. Thanks, Jessica. And uh, have a good week. Keep reading the Detroit Sports Rag for all your breaking sharp Drew Sharp news. Peace, dog. This is a previously recorded episode.